Check, 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 check. I started uh, Gag Me With a Spoon because I really love to, I love to hear people's personal stories. I think we're more fascinating than fiction. And I really like the community building aspect of in a small town like Duluth, Minnesota, where you think you know everybody, you don't know everybody. And you get to know people on a little deeper level and share vulnerability and grow as a community in the day and age of Facebook. Um, I think it's a connecting thing to share our stories and something we've been doing throughout history. So I'm trying to kind of bring that into my life and hopefully share that with others. Your hair looks really good. So I spent my entire life, my entire life saying yes to everything, literally everything. And if I didn't say yes, it was probably because I didn't hear you ask me the question. Uh, in the beginning, I think it was about trying to be polite or being told to be polite, so I was being polite even when I didn't want to be, which just led to constantly saying yes to everyone. So it was like, yes, I will have another helping of your sick meatloaf, and yes, I will reenact something funny from school, and yes, I will kiss you. Yes, you can have my new Nike Air flights. Yes, I will watch you play video games. Yes, let's go to your church camp and join that cult, I say yes to white Jesus. <laughs> yes, I want to smoke that cigarette. Sure, I'll try cocaine. And yes, I will have sex with you. Yes, 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 yes. So I learned that Shonda Rhimes wrote this book um, and it was called like her year of yes, which is so great. So it was like her year of yes or a yes of a year or something. Um, and I think about this a lot. So Shonda Rhimes says yes for a year and she's a billionaire and has like 17 television shows her own network incredible self-confidence and probably a really nice bathtub and um I have said yes my entire life, and my book of yes includes a food addiction, chlamydia, a leaky roof, and a credit card to Old Navy I'm still paying off. Yes, I do want that 30% discount if I sign up. Yeah, sure, okay. So, yeah. Uh, um, so I guess saying yes turned itself into like avoiding conflict. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm still working this one out with my therapist, so here we go. Um, but. I would also say yes to things that I knew would would physically harm me. So I'm an actor, and in this biz, if you say no, it means you're saying no to money, or you're saying no to opportunity, and saying yes to this role might get you that role later. And so you're taught to say yes, so you can climb the ladder and be famous. So I go from saying yes to everything when I'm little to saying yes to everything in my career even if it harmed me. So, for example, 
I got cast as the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz, and like I was like, holy crap, this is it. This is a role of a lifetime. Um, but the director wanted the witch to be terrifying and, and wanted her to have like more of this deeper voice and have her menace come from the throat or something. So in rehearsal, there was a lot of this deep screaming instead of like the cackle that we're all used to. So I was, I was spending weeks screaming, and by the time we were to open the show, show, I had zero voice. I had nothing. So instead of telling the director I need my understudy to go on so I can rest my voice and heal and then I'll be back when I'm healthy, I went straight to the doctor to get steroids so I could keep doing the show. And when those steroids were gone, and since we had 108 performances left, I would find steroids from friends' expired prescriptions or from other actors who were doing the same thing as me, who taught me it was fine to just take, take the steroids. And then I went to another doctor who didn't know I went to the first doctor. So I would wake up at 7 a.m., have literally no voice, take a roid, be able to do the 10.30 a.m. show, lose my voice by 1 p.m., take a roid, at 2 p.m. be able to do the 7 p.m. show and repeat for 108 performances. <laughs> um, and now I have a huge cyst on my right vocal cord, which I have named Lance. <laughs> this helps. So there are many stories like that that have to do with theater. I'll tell you guys so you can prepare, um, but that's for another time. So as my life began to unfold and all my yeses took me where they needed to take me. I ended up in New York and I was in my first real relationship. And then all of those things that you thought about as a kid or all of those things that you're told to by society to think about as a kid. Um, I mean, I we all know the system has set us, you know, our goals up for us, right? So it's amazing. What a gift. Okay. Anyway, so I remember having these conversations when I was like, eight, it's like eight, eight years old, conversations about the future, eight. But the conversations that we were having that I remember in my tiny young mind wrapping itself around these questions from friends and family and it always was like something like this. What do you want your wedding dress to look like? Do you want a white dress or like an off-white dress? Um, yes, I would say. And how many kids do you want? Do you want three kids, like in your family, like two boys and one girl? Um, yes. And do you want to marry someone like Luke Skywalker, or do you want to marry someone like Han Solo? Those are not real people, but yes, and yes. And what were you? What will your kids' names be? Aren't you so excited to get married? Yes, I am so excited to get married and have kids. I would say out loud. And wait, what? Huh? Hold up is what was going on inside of me and what I was saying in my mind. Okay, so back when I mentioned I was in this real relationship in New York and it was my first love and we had been together for a while and so those social norms, remember like when, for the, when you're eight, they come in and they take a seat at the table again. When are you guys getting married? Oh, your kids will be so stinking cute. Aren't you so excited? Yes! Feeling that hard, hard question mark. And I was in my 20s, and my yeses were meaning a much different thing now. The yeses in our 20s, I think, are so fucking heavy. 
So this led my boyfriend and I to have these types of conversations. And we would say, well, who, who, who should we invite to the wedding, big or small? Who should marry us? Will we still have roommates when we're married? What will our colors be? We should at least wait four years to have children so we can travel. Yes, 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 yes. Should we get married in New York or go home to Minnesota? Yes, and yes, yes. But the voice inside of me, the one that I thought all this time was just my self-doubt, was actually, simply put, it was just fucking me. And I kept asking me in my brain, do you want to be married? Do you want to have children, Mary? Something isn't right here. Abort, abort mission. So I did what any normal person in a deeply committed relationship would do. I bought a one-way ticket to Europe and left the fucking country. <laughs> so yeah, I'll take it. So uh, the system can't follow me across the ocean, can it? Yes, it can. It just looks a little different. So um, I was the walking cliche of a person running away from her problems. Um, I ran away from my responsibilities as a woman. But did I? Or did the pressure of society, society simply just kick me out? Because I, th I think I was kicked out. So I traveled, and it was all of the things. I wandered the highlands of Scotland, drank the best Guinness in Ireland, trekked through the jungles of Southeast, Southeast Asia, partied in Berlin, walked across Spain, had sex with amazing people, and I found something interesting happening. I found that my yeses overseas kept bringing me back to myself. So the first time, for the first time, I was truly, deeply on my own. But money is a thing, and I found myself not wanting to be married to anyone in Europe or Asia either, um, and I missed my mom, so I came home to Minnesota. And soon after, I found myself back in my old habits of saying yes to jobs that made me sad, or to shows that took me away from my family and sanity, and I fell in love again hard, and it was awesome. And I don't want to name names here, but his initials are Blake Thomas. <laughs> and for those of you who know him, you get it. He is quite simply the best. So we loved and we committed to one another and he moved to Minnesota to be with me and I felt confident one afternoon to tell him a very big secret. And so I told him that I really don't ever want to get married to you. And he said, okay. And then about a year later, he asked me to marry him. <laughs> and because I do this thing where I trust the people I love more than I trust myself, I said, yes. And then all of those empty parts of the American dream became my reality once again. Like I was accidentally inviting the super mean aunt to a party. But because I'm an actor, I can perform the shit out of anything. So I made our story into this perfect make-believe five-star rom-com fairy tale best in show Tony award-winning performance. What Blake lacked in enthusiasm I made up for when Blake said, hey, how about we have two kids? I was like, four. No, let's have six and they're all gonna be boys. <laughs> 
Everyone loved that, yeah. And then uh, when when someone would ask us, oh, oh my God, you guys, how did you meet? I went into a monologue only Meryl Streep could outperform. And when our wedding was approaching and my throat felt tight and and I, I, I didn't feel right and everyone was just saying, it's just cold feet, you got this. It's, everyone goes through it. I said, yes, you're right, it's just cold feet. And then our wedding came and everyone was there and it was beautiful and Blake wore my grandfather's tux and I wore my mom's wedding dress and we said yes to I do. And then that night we partied with friends and he stayed up to party and I went back to our tent alone, alone because I wanted to be. And I laid there in our double sleeping bag with the noises of our friends in the background and I thought, you did it. You said yes to some shitty meatloaf when you were five, and now you've gone ahead and said yes to forever. So, 10 years later, I did what any normal person would do in a deeply committed marriage. I left in the middle of the night, grabbed our lawn furniture, and moved to an apartment five blocks away. It's true. And, And after a year, of committing to a story of we just need a break or this is temporary and giving Blake all of the false hope in the world and a half-assed attempt at, attempt at couples therapy. It was my dad who broke my pattern. And my dad said something so very simple to me over the phone when I was once again feeling like I've lost the earth beneath me but convincing myself that everything's going to be fine. And he said, Mary, what if you are a woman who doesn't want to get married or have kids? A question presented to me as a what if. And I seriously, honestly, asked him back, and this is when I was 38 years old. I was 38 years old, and I asked him this. Would you and mom be mad at me? And he lightly laughed and ever so gently said, no. So I finally said no. I said no to our marriage. I said no to Blake. I said no to having the family he wanted. I said no to that life. And inside of me was like this twisting, churning, horrible mess. It was red hot and freezing cold. And it was like I was internally vomiting every hour on the hour because saying no was and is so incredibly hard. My no might be your yes. And that is such a beautiful thing. But my wish to everyone here is that you will be able to find your no when you need it, be it big or small, when you are young or old. Thank you. Mary Fox.
we have Michaela and Margaret and Liesel and Ginger and Tony and Blake and Brock and Gage and Jack and Colin who showed up here for this. And we're so grateful. Hi, my name is Dominic. Let me set the scene for you real quick. A 16-year-old girl is dropped off at the birthing center, downtown Boston, by her foster mother, who is less than thrilled that this woman is about to have a baby. She gets up there. She pushes, and she pushes. As you all know, you push a lot. And a baby comes out. The doctor says, it's a beautiful baby girl. And that's where my story begins. I did not have an easy childhood, and if you haven't deciphered from my first couple sentences, I'm a very proud transgender man. I, thank you. <laughs> my mother was 16 years old when she had me, my birth mother. She was not happy about that. She wanted to hang out with her friends, go out with her boyfriend, you know, normal 16-year-old shit. Excuse me, excuse my language. Um, the day after I was born, her only question to the doctors was, when can I get the hell out of here? I got stuff to do. You know, I'm 16, I'm a foster kid, I want to do what I want to do. So flash forward about three months. We are in the foster home of my mother. And she decides that instead of taking care of me and my older sister, who was a year older than me, that she wanted to go out to a party. You know, 16 years old, fuck it, let's go to a party. Her foster mother told her, if you're not home by a certain time, I'm taking those kids. They deserve better. Well, as you can see, I'm still here, so clearly I was taken. Um, it may sound sad, but it gets a lot better. I was in foster care for all of eh, maybe a month and a half. Cue music for Dwayne and Kathy Chilko, the people that saved my life. <laughs> they wanted to adopt a little boy. <laughs> but there were no little boys. There was this little light-skinned, curly-haired, big-lipped, big-eared kid named Dominique Nicole. That was me. They kept coming back to the foster home. We want a boy. We want a boy. And my mother, Kathy, she told my dad, Dwayne, you know what? Every time we come here, this kid is amazing. Why don't we take her, you know, at least foster her for a little bit, see what happens. I am a happy foster fail. <laughs> um, they raised me, and they did a damn good job. We lived in Boston for a few years of my life, and everything was good, you know, pigtails and the hair, and since I was biracial and they were both, well, for lack of better words, white as hell, uh, my hair was always nappy, but that was okay. I thought that they were my biological parents, and I was completely content with that fact. Flash forward, we moved to Minnesota because my adopted dad is a diehard Vikings fan from Minnesota and he's German, so he's a fucking sauerkraut. No big deal. <laughs> we moved to Minnesota and little Nikki starts having these feelings. Why can't I take my shirt off at the, at the pool like everybody else? Why can't I wrestle? Why can't I play football? Because you're a girl and that's not what girls do. Okay, mom, no big deal. Going shopping at Old Navy in the women's section, you know, express, women's section. I suppressed a lot of feelings to make these people proud because they took me in and they accepted me.
for who I thought I was at the time, which was Dominique Nicole. Uh, they started calling me Nikki, so then they changed my name to Nicole Dominique, and I lived my life as Nicole. You know, 12 years old hits, and my mom gave me the not only financial freedom, but physical freedom to go get my hair cut on my own. Terrible fucking idea. <laughs> I came back home with a shaved head, and when I tell you I thought my mom was going to absolutely drop dead right in that moment, I am not kidding. I was grounded, and I couldn't understand why. They didn't even know what to take from me. She didn't even know what to say to me. She just knew that she was pissed off. So I suppressed those feelings back down again. I was like, oh, you know, Mom, I, I didn't tell her to cut it that short, but I did. You know, I, di I didn't know I was going to look like a boy. Yes, I did. So... 13 years old hits, and, you know, I'm feeling, I'm a teenager now, you know, I'm feeling cute, my mom's letting me buy my own clothes, so everything's baggy, everything's way too big, I wanted to hide my chest, and I wanted to hide everything else, and I was about 100 pounds soaking wet, so I wanted to look a little, you know, a little rough and tough, I live in Minnesota, for Christ's sake, <laughs> I had to look like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought I had to look like, but it was not cute. It wasn't cute. I was not meant to be a lesbian, and I will tell you why <laughs> right now. Tried that. Definitely tried that. When I tell you that there is no reason for a person my size to wear a 3X t-shirt, it's the truth. <laughs> I was wearing size 36 pants, and I was a 28. Okay, the belts and all, they were down here. I don't know what I was doing, but I thought I was hot, and so did the girls, and I was cool with that. So I played the lesbian card for a while. Hi, I'm Nikki, and I'm a lesbian. How are you? How you doing? <laughs> Let's hang out. Let's go to the roller rink. But something always felt off. When I played house with people, I wanted to be the dad, or even the male dog, for that matter. I just wanted to be a boy. When it came time to do any type of outside activity, camping, things like that, I was layering up. It could be 90 friggin' degrees outside. I got on a vest, like a puffy vest, with a sweatshirt on, at the beach, while everyone's swimming. I don't know how to swim. Yes, I do. I don't want to take my clothes off. I want you to think that I'm the man that I felt like on the inside. Cue phone calls to my parents' house. Hey, is Nicholas there? We don't have a son. We have a daughter named Nicole. Cue me grabbing the phone. My parents hate me. They don't accept me for who I am. I am a boy. They just don't get it, this and that. Then I got beat up. I got jumped for trying to be who I was before I knew who I was. I was dating a, a young lady. We were about 14 at the time. I was over at her apartment. You know, her parents were gone. And her friend that was there with us decided that she was going to call my house and, you know, just see if what she assumed was true was true, that I was a female. She talked to my mom for a little bit. I'm in the room macking on her friend. We are making out as much as 14-year-olds can make out. <laughs> I thought, you know, I had got a prize there. I knock on the door. Come here real quick, she says to her friend. They converse for what felt like forever, just staring at me, talking to each other, staring at me. I get a weird feeling in my gut so I grab my jacket, and I'm like, you know, my mom just called my cell phone. I got to go. Oh, your mom just called you, huh? 
yeah, I gotta go. Well, I don't think you should go. Locks the door. I get my ass beat. Okay, I'll take that L. I get it. I lied to you guys. Their parents called my parents, told them how much of an abomination I was, and how I've tricked their daughter, and now she's confused. I'm fucking confused. I thought I was living my life. They didn't like that. So back to suppression we go. I hit about 17, and I kind of stopped caring. I, I decided not to care. And it was the best thing I ever did for myself. I started dressing the way I wanted to. I told people, hey, I may be a female, like presenting wise, but this is how I feel. But I had yet to meet a transgender person. I didn't even know what the word trans was. I was so sheltered in my little South St. Paul, Minnesota lifestyle, watching the Vikings lose every fucking game they played with my dad. <laughs> that I didn't, I didn't know any better, and I had never met anybody like me until I turned 21. I went to my first gay bar in St. Paul, and they had a drag show going on. Now, I knew all about queens. Queens are awesome, I love the queens. But I met a drag king, and not only were they a drag king, but they were a transgender male drag king. And after the show, I had rooted and raved about how great they were. And they were like, you know what? I want to talk to you, not just because you gave me a compliment, because I think you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. And they started telling me about themselves. I'm transgender. I take testosterone. I was born female at, at birth. And now I'm legally a man, and this and that. And my jaw dropped. I said, you're bullshitting. <laughs> There's no way. So you take a couple shots, and you got that beard and that chest. No, calm down. I'm like, OK, what's up? Therapy, hormones, surgeries, etc. Are you scared? Absolutely not. Where do you sign up? Where do you sign up? Because that is literally everything that I've been feeling my whole life. And everybody has told me that I'm wrong, including doctors telling me that I had gender dysphoria. Um, I have been to several psych wards in my lifetime. And I have been prayed over by several pastors. <laughs> you can't pray the gay away. You can't, okay? You can't. <laughs> I took control of my life after that conversation. I was on the computer. I was looking up the University of Minnesota sexual health, and I found a therapist. And when I talked to her, I finally felt seen. She didn't tell me I was crazy. No, she said, oh, you're like the fifth person to come in here today and tell me that. Would you like a, would you like a prescription for testosterone? What? <laughs> I can just like get testosterone? Yeah, come and see me a couple times a month and we'll get you on the road to where you need to be. So at the age of 25, I started my medical transition. And I have not looked back a single day Nikki was amazing. She was great. She was number two goalie in the state of Minnesota, playing soccer, because, you know, I had to play some type of sport. I live in Minnesota. It's hockey, soccer, something. I can't play hockey. I can't skate. So I played soccer. Um, she, she was great, but she was very confused, and she was a very sad person. And I feel like if Nikki wouldn't have found Dominic, Nikki would not be here anymore. 
I acknowledge her. She is in this room, and she will always be with me. But Dominic is the person that I needed to be to remain here. I started my testosterone, and immediately, you know, after one shot, I'm like, why isn't my voice deep? Where's my facial hair? Adam's apple where? What? Like every other trans person does. You want to see changes in that moment. But my therapist told me, trust the process. You're a singer. You're a rapper. You're an artist. Practice. Train your voice. And as you can tell, I got a little bit of bass in my face now. <laughs> I am now 32 years old. And I am living my truth. And it feels freaking good. <laughs> I, am, I am a medical assistant. I actually work in one of the homes that one of the previous storytellers talked about with Alzheimer's and dementia patients. I absolutely freaking love what I do. It's weird, though, because as a female, in that line of work, I could work with anybody. Nobody cared if I saw them naked, if I gave them medicine, this and that. I transitioned and suddenly women are like, absolutely not. And I'm like, what's wrong? I'm your friend, I'm your friend. But I get it, it's a different face. It's a rugged face, it's a face that I personally love. <laughs> but I get it. I have so much motivation and so much drive. I am a drag king throughout Duluth and Superior and the Twin Cities, and I love being an out trans male drag king and breaking that stereotype that trans people can't do drag because they've already transitioned to who they need to be. Drag is art, okay? And we're proving that every single day. I am a family man. I'm engaged. And upon getting engaged, I have inherited four absolutely beautiful children. My mother, Kathy, flashback to Kathy real quick. The one that grounded me for, she don't even know why still. Biggest supporter. She is my biggest supporter. She will kick you right where you stand. You call me Nicole, I promise you. And my dad, God rest his soul, he died in June, was also my biggest fan. He never cared. As long as he had a beer in his hand and football on the TV, I could have been a frickin' zebra. He would have still been proud of me, okay? And he had told my mom when I was young, Nikki's gonna be a boy one day. And my mom was like, nah. And then when I came out, my dad was like, huh, what's up? <laughs> told ya. I miss him so much, and I wish that he would be here for when I get married in June and to meet his grandchildren, but I know he's looking down on me, and he's just as proud of me now as he was the day that I came out as transgender and told the world, I don't give a damn. Judge me if you want to, but I get one life, and I'm gonna live it authentically and unapologetically, and I'm gonna be me, and that's my story. I have, um, I wrote a song when I first started transitioning. It's called This Is My Life. And 
I'm not saying this is for every trans male's transition, but I feel like I depicted how we as trans men feel pretty well. And I'd like to perform that for you guys real quick, if that's okay. Yeah. All right, listen to the lyrics, follow along as much as you can, and just know that this is my life. We got another one. Let me tell you about pain, tell you all about the struggle Being born someone's sister when you should have been born they brother Getting dressed like a girl by your father and your mother Wanna throw your hands up cause you feel like there's no other options for you Don't wanna be popular or cute Wishing you could get away and finally live your own truth It's time to make your own moves, you only get one shot too Make a name for yourself, go ahead and do what you do, ah don't let nobody tell you different You were worth it with a purpose and you on a mission Trans and proud, say it loud, make them haters listen Be a leader, never follow, play in your position And just be true to who you are Don't let them steal your glow, just keep shining like a star Learn to love yourself for every inch and every scar They can say just what they want because you know just who you are uh. And this is my life Living day to day Just trying to feel right Every day's a struggle Man, I'm losing my mind Hide behind the front Say I'm doing just fine And uh This is my life Only get one So I gotta do it right Proud of who I am So I stand up and fight Time to show the world What trans looks like and I ain't in it for the fame Just trying to show these people their faces to a name Everywhere I go, people challenging my ways Man, trans is what I am, but who I am still hasn't changed Trying to open people's eyes to the fact that we're all human There's a whole world to worry about, so tell me what you doing Bashing on the next, but what you really proving, man? Ignorance is bliss, so I suggest you get some moving, cuz Ain't nobody got time for that Some don't make it out this hate But y'all be acting blind to that Suicide at a sky high But y'all be never minding that Inner peace is what we seek But seems we never finding that Don't ever let nobody tell you who you are Or who you need to be You are worth it You are perfect And you have a purpose Just go ahead and turn that up My silent screams are symphony To your ears Your actions are Leaving me in uncried tears. My trusted, diverse verse is dipped in rage. You keep me caged. I'm embedded in agony. It's my voiceless pain. Shot and carved inside of my faceless face. My battered and bruised soul probably exposed. Spirit beyond death. Life support. No rest. In order to live, the old me has to die. Drowned her heartbeat. Set me free so I can fly. No, no dark, dark twisted depths in me, just the beautiful best of me. The fusion that binds these delusions, I call it, call it, call it destiny. my destiny. Thank you. Dominic Chilko, everybody. I'm gonna um, invite my friend Amina to the stage. Hello, everyone. Mm. 
my name is Amina. Mm, I'm from Afghanistan. Uh, maybe some of you know a little bit about Afghanistan. And then I was born at Parwan province, but I grew up the capital of Afghanistan in Kabul. And uh, uh, I have five sisters, one brother, and I am the fourth one. And, and I finished my college, my school, everything in Kabul. And uh, also I joined uh, at Defense Military in 2015. Um, and I was, was uh, working at an um, investigation office. Yeah, and uh, I had a very good life before I came, I came in U.S. And after um, August 15, 2021, everything was very good. Unfortunately, after Taliban took all of my country and everything changed, and uh, from all of Afghanistan, people life changed. August 15 was very dark day for everyone, I am sure. And uh, on that day, I was in my office when I heard about that. Mm, uh, before that, uh, before August 15, uh, U.S. government decided to uh, left Afghanistan. Uh, U.S. military, okay, sorry, decided to leave uh, Afghanistan, and um, after that, every day, everything was changed until August 15. On August 15, uh, Taliban came, and I was in my office, and uh, my family called me, please come soon home, because uh, the situation is now not good. Uh, and uh, when uh, I left my office and when I went to in the road, road was very crowded. Everywhere was very busy and was not any car, and everyone uh, just uh, ran. And I did also about two hours until I reached at home. Mm, when I reached at home, the first thing I did, I I locked my door. In Afghanistan, home and uh, not like here, uh, we have around the home a wall, and um, uh, I lock the door and um, I I dug a hole out of uh, the outside of my home, and uh, I put all of my important document there, and after that. Um, I burned all of my uh, military uniform, my uh, other uh, military staff. That was really hard for me, and never I can forget that day. And um, after that, I told for my, uh, for my parents, I have to leave my home because uh, I can't uh, stay now because um, if uh, Taliban Cam, uh, your life also not safe, and my life also. And uh, unfortunately, my office, my home also was very close with my office, very close. And uh, they accept, and I left uh, my home with my two of another friends. They also was at uh, defense military. And I went to my another friend's house from August 15 until uh, August 31. 
and uh, I was hired. I, and also, uh, maybe you know about Kabul airport. And that time was very crowded. Everyone tried to uh, get out from Afghanistan, and there was very busy. And during that time, I also uh, went a few times there. And uh, I can't, unfortunately, go to inside the airport. And, and there was very busy, and in front of my eyes, a lot of people injured, died, and there, the, uh, there was uh, there, uh, there was what um, a bad situation, and. Um, the last time when I went to the um, Kabul airport, uh, that was on August 27. On that day, uh, happened very big explosion and bombing, and a lot of people died and injured, like 180 people died and more uh, 200 injured, and everywhere was blood. and. Uh, that was really hard for me. I was just uh, five minutes uh, far from that uh, bombing. And if I was not far five minutes, I was also died. And, um, and, uh, and uh, after that, uh, um, I came home, uh, my friend home. And uh, hopefully, uh, I had contact with some of my American advisor. Mm, and uh, they always uh, said for me uh, and they gave me encourage, please be brave and be safe. We will help you. Don't worry. And always they gave me encourage. And uh, after, uh, after August 31, I was very disappointed. And uh, I thought everything is done. Taliban will find me and kill me. And uh, uh, because Taliban uh, don't like educated people, they don't like women to go outside work, and they don't like to uh, women go school, college. Mm, I was sure, and um, also because I was educated woman, and. Um, um, I was work with uh, previous government and with U.S. military because I had some uh, uh, U.S. advisor in my office. I was sure about that. And um, after August 31, uh, I told you I uh, was very disappointed. And um, uh, uh, after that, no, no, US, US um, advisor sent for me message as possible you can come in front of the Soviet embassy. You have to go Mazar province. You, you will have from their uh, flight. And um, I was um, very happy because of that. And, um, and I went there. And uh, after that, we went to Mazar province. And um, when I arrived in Mazar province, I thought um, uh, maybe we will have flight now today or maybe tomorrow. And uh, unfortunately, um, I was in Mazar province in one safe house for a month. And with um, uh, 54 um, women military and uh, 23 media parts, uh, totally uh, 75 was 
seventy five uh, woman and uh, we was uh, a very small room like uh, smaller than here than uh, here and um, uh, we had just um, uh, one bathroom for seventy five uh, person that was um, really hard and um, uh, actually also we can't uh, at that time go to uh, near to window and we can't see the sunshine and we can't talk with each other. That was really hard for me. And uh, every night um, I just did cry and uh, pray under my blanket. And I uh, always uh, I thought for myself, how should I do? How? Uh, and that was really hard. And. Um, after one month, some people was in church and they con they had contact with U.S. advisor, and they came and said we have to live here because Taliban find us. We have to leave this safe house, and they bring they brought us to another safe house, and to, uh, to one basement. That basement was very dirty and messy, and was wet. And um, that uh, basement was not for human. Uh, and we was for uh, 10 days. After 10 days, um, also those people came and said, we have to leave. Uh, now we, we don't have any place uh, to uh, keep you. Uh, and you have to go back cobble now. And um, uh, that was um, uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, and uh, we, um, we came back to Kabul with uh, all of those women. And um, they said, if uh, Taliban asked you during the way, uh, say for them, we go for wedding in Kabul. And uh, we, um, uh, we had one long, long hijab. Uh, because uh, they don't like to uh, wear the uh, uh, those job they don't like. And uh, after we arrived uh, in Kabul, uh, they brought us to another safe house, and uh, uh, we was more than one month, uh, like around 40 days in another safe house. Um, and uh, after that, uh, during that time, I can't uh, visit my parents. And just sometime I had contact by phone with them. Uh, and also because of the phone also was not safe and Taliban check. Because of that, I can't uh, talk by phone or visit them in person. That was really hard for me. And after um, that, uh, after around uh, 40 days, uh, the U.S. advisor sent for me message for me and for some of my other friends. They said uh, some one pe person will call for you and they ask you about your passport, and uh, you will have flight. And um, uh, after one day, that person called for me and for me, for my other friends, and they said, bring your passport for us. Uh, do you know, between 54 uh, women military just had seven person passport, but the other doesn't have. And that was really hard for me, and I was happy for myself, and I was sad for my other friend. And, um, 
uh, after they took our passport and they bring back, uh, they brought for us back our passport and they said tomorrow morning you will have, you will have flight. And um, uh, I uh, I was not sure about my flight because I didn't have belief maybe something happened bad because before also uh, for other people happened because some people uh, made plan to uh, and they called for some person to come uh, in this address we uh, you will have flight something and they when they uh, gone there. They they killed them. I thought maybe this is also a plan. And um, also, I, uh, on that morning, I told for one of my uh, friend, I left uh, her there. I said, if something happened bad for me, please let uh, my family know. And I didn't uh, told for my family tomorrow I have flight because I was not sure about my flight. Maybe something happened bad. And after we I went to the Kabul airport, um, um, on that day, um, actually, it was a good day and bad day for me. Um, and um, when I went to inside the airport, and uh, on that time I called for my parents, I am inside the airport, I will go. And now I left my and here. Just they said for me. Uh, goodbye and um, be happy and uh, they just did cry and they can't talk with me more and after that my mom talked with me and said mm, we will pray for you we will take care and, um, and after that I came to Qatar country for a month and um, after that, after a month, I came to Philadelphia Airport. After Philadelphia, Philadelphia Airport, I went to the Fort Dix in New Jersey camp around two months. Um, after two months, I came in Duluth on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> after. <laughs> Mm, um, after the, I came on Valentine's Day in uh, 2021, uh, when I arrived in uh, Duluth Airport, and that time was a lot of snow, and I was <laughs> I was very surprised. How should I do now with the snow? Here is very cold, <laughs> and um, uh, and uh, I came in um, the airport terminal, and I saw a group of people there was and they had a sign and they told they wrote uh, salam <laughs> they mean salam hello <laughs> and uh, they uh, they uh, was very kind and nice people and uh, uh, we came in uh, home uh, we was for a man there for now we uh, I uh, live with my uh, two of my friends, both of us from my home, and um, I, we have a group of a sponsor circle. They help us a lot every time uh, with everything. And one of them is here now, my grandpa. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
uh, we are now like a family and we call for them grandpa, grandma, sister, uncle, aunt, <laughs> and <laughs> also um, for now I have attorney, my attorney helped me with my um, asylum case. I will uh, apply very soon uh, for my asylum case. And uh, I work uh, at Love Creamery. There is a very nice place, and I like all of my co-workers, everyone. They are very nice. Um, I don't know how should I describe my boss. She is really kind and nice. She is really kind. Uh, I, was sh- I wish uh, she was uh, here. Yeah, but she now in, Fl- in uh, Florida now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she told me before if I uh, will be here in Duluth, I will come. But now she in, uh, Fl- in uh, Florida. Florida. Sorry, yeah, mm, and uh, now I am busy also with my driving practice. <laughs> driving, yeah, I do that. And um, uh, do you know that person uh, helped me before with my driving practice? Those are also here. <laughs> <laughs> On calendar with her husband, she always helped me with me and my friend. They were real nice people. And also another people, uh, Melissa and Jane. <laughs> they also helped me a lot. And now I work with uh, Melissa and uh, I help Melissa with her slippers. She makes uh, slippers, she has a small business. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, also now Duluth, my uh, like my home, my uh, part of my life, uh, and uh, everything now got uh, just uh, my worried now about my family, about my other people because in Afghanistan now, from uh, woman situation is very bad, and all of my uh, friends before we was together, they are now uh, in Afghanistan. They are. Now hide. They can't go outside. They can't uh, go work. They uh, can't do anything. They can't. And uh, that's really hard for me. Now I'm safe, but uh, my mind is not good. Always I think about those are. Yeah. I hope uh, one day my can my country situation change and be better. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm Adeline Wright, host of Gag Me With a Spoon. Thanks to our listeners, studio audience, storytellers, zeitgeist arts, and all of you who participated tonight. Good night.